This has been a year for numbers. COVID stats have been a collective obsession. Vote percentages surprising. Hours spent online unending. The Royal Statistical Society has run the numbers and has voted for its Stats of the Year. That's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me are regular panelists, John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department, and Richard Campbell, Professor Emeritus of Media media, journalism, and film. Our guest today is Professor Jennifer Rogers. Rogers served as chair of the RSS judging panel and is RSS vice president for external affairs. She's also head of statistical research and consultancy at Fustar. Jen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Nice to be here. So I know that the RSS votes for a UK statistic and an international statistic. So I will just ask you to talk about what you voted as the international statistic of the year. Yeah, so our international statistic of the year was 332 days. Now, this is the length of time between scientists publishing the genetic sequence of COVID-19. That was on the 11th of January and an effective vaccine been administered as part of a vaccine program, which happened on the 8th of December. So what makes this remarkable? I think it's been the speed at which this has happened. It's been a massive achievement globally for the scientific community. Um, And I think we've all seen some harrowing statistics throughout 2020, but this statistic I think has really given us some hope for 2021. And when we saw that first vaccine being administered, we could all breathe this huge sigh of relief and maybe start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know in in your work, you talk to the media a lot about uh, the sort of repercussions of vaccines. And we we live in an age, certainly here in the States, where a lot of people are anxious about getting whether they should be vaccinated or not. There's that sort of fear. So what are you doing uh, in, in the UK to, to, to deal with that? Yeah, I think that the unprecedented speed is, is a wonderful thing, but it also does create a little bit of suspicion in some people's minds. I think some people think that fast means that we've cut corners or we've missed things out. And I'm really trying to work with the media to communicate the fact that that isn't the case. You know, when you're designing clinical studies, there's lots of different steps and they typically happen sequentially. You know, you wouldn't start manufacturing your vaccine, for example, until you knew it worked. But because here we've got a situation where every single day is, you know, numerous deaths, Everyone's really been doing all that they can to speed up that process. And so, for example, the vaccine has been manufactured many months before we even knew whether or not it worked, meaning that when it was licensed or given approval, we could start administering it straight away. Um, I always like to think of the analogy of building a house. There's lots of different steps to building a house and you can do them all one after another, Or there are certain things that you can do at the same time. And that speeds up the whole process without actually then affecting the integrity of the structure at the end. And we've got the same thing here. In clinical trials, there are certain things that could all be happening at the same time. We have 
different phases of studies. You could be designing your next phase whilst your first phase is going on, for example. And it just helps to speed up the process. You know, they didn't have to apply for lots of research funding and, and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, it doesn't mean that corners have been cut and it doesn't mean that any steps have been missed out and I think that's crucial to remember. I think that what's so interesting for me that having the committee choose this one as the international stat of the year is that it feels hopeful in a way that a lot of COVID stats have not. You know when you're talking about answering Richard's question you mentioned sort of like the unending number of deaths that we sort of are seeing and I know that deaths are a focus of another one of the stats that you voted on but I just feel like that it's such an interesting choice. So I wonder if you could talk about, you know, why the panel chose specifically like this particular one, whether it was because of this idea of of moving that conversation away from the uh, the unending, unceasing death toll, which we still which, you know, we can we can never sort of get away from, I think. Yeah, I think we really wanted to have something in there that was a cause for celebration. And I think that this this really is. And also the fact that when will we get a vaccine has been a question that has come up over and over and over again. When we pick these statistics, we do want to try and think about what have been the main topics of conversation throughout the year. And I do think that when are we going to get a vaccine really has been one of those questions that has come up repeatedly. I just I was hoping to get a little more context for why 332 is, is so amazing. You know, so if you could talk, you know, what's what's typical for the the approval process from kind of the sequencing to administering for other vaccines or for for maybe just general pharmaceutical development? I mean, these processes can take years and years. You know, you develop your new vaccine or drug or intervention, whatever it is. And there's lots of different phases that it has to go through. And every single step of the way that has to be done in conversation with the regulators. Even just designing one bit of the study could take up to six months if you were having Um, conversations with regulators and going back and forth and you weren't necessarily a priority. But if you all of a sudden plug all of your resources into trying to make sure that those conversations happen as quickly as possible and those decisions are made as quickly as possible, amazing things can be achieved. And I do think that this really highlights the fact that it has been the coming together of the best of science. And I just think it really is something to celebrate. I'm imagining there weren't a lot of uh, arguments about what the stat of the year was going to be, as as might have happened in other years, because you you did have some consensus that you wanted to offer a more hopeful st- statistics. And this this certainly was one. But typically, what are what might be some of the challenges that the committee faces? Are there arguments? Are you uh, what's what's that process like? Well, usually we do it all sitting in a room with a, a few glasses of wine, and yeah, there are a few heated <laughs> heated discussions. I mean, it was made a little bit more difficult this year having to do it virtually over Zoom. Those sorts of judging can be a little bit more complicated in those sorts of situations. But um, yeah, we really try and think about. What have been the main topics of conversation this year? What has defined the year? Um, We also like to try and get a mix of both positives and maybe some negative stories. Um, And also, uh, what is surprising? You know, what might you not quite have thought about? Or what might you look at it and think, oh, wow, 
never thought it would have been that big or, or something like that. And I do think that we've managed to achieve that with our statistics this year. We knew sitting down that, yes, COVID was going to be a very big story and it was, you know, we were going to have a lot of COVID statistics. But I think what we've managed to do with our stats this year is um, really paint a picture of the fact that COVID hasn't been the same for everybody. There's big, yeah. been big discrepancies globally in people's experiences of the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. Some positive stories like this vaccine, but also there have been some negative stories as well. Jen, you, so since you mentioned the negative, in Ohio, uh, where Richard, John and I are, they're just now beginning to roll out vaccinations in nursing homes, a very vulnerable population. So I wonder if you could talk about your UK stat of the year deals with COVID in care homes. So do you want to talk about that one? Yeah, so our UK stat of the year was 17,750. And it was the number of excess deaths uh, across a four-week period from the 4th of April to the 1st of May. It was really when we had our, our biggest peak Um, of excess deaths. And the total number of deaths in care homes was 200% higher than the five-year average, compared with 85% higher in in the home or in the community uh, and 65% higher in hospitals. Now, we really wanted to promote this statistic because it highlights the importance of data quality and data transparency. Over here in the UK, in the early days of the pandemic, our news was full of footage from overcrowded hospitals in Italy, but there was devastation taking place in the UK off camera. The government didn't Mm. even start including care home deaths in the daily death count until the 29th of April. So all of this information was just being hidden from the world. And we have this hidden story from the first wave of the pandemic that the worst effects were being felt in care homes. And it just really highlights the importance of, of, as I said, data quality and and data transparency. And, you know, I think most people would have expected these numbers to be bad, but I I think it may come as a shock to a lot of people just how high these figures were. One of the things I noticed in that statistic was it was higher in England and Wales than it was in Scotland and Northern Ireland. Why is that? I don't know. I don't know. know. Um, But I think that that again, you know, I always like to say about statistics is that they don't end stories. They they sort of start them. And um, and I, I I'm always I'm always wary of trying to come up with a story as to why something might be happening. Whereas, you know, when I don't actually know the answer to it, but I think they're great starters for future things that you need to take a look at. Um, and yeah, I think there's there's been a real surge in this this year, in particular, as to the role of statisticians and the role of data in trying to explore this current situation and, and try and figure out uh, what might be going on. Well, that's that's a great quote. I like I like that a lot. Uh, you know, I, I thought that the use of of excess deaths was something that that really hadn't I hadn't seen covered much in the press until this year, and I I think it was it was. Uh, it was one of those times that, that, that all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, okay, we can't, we're not going to argue about whether or not in this individual case or not it was caused, that COVID caused this. But if you just compare what's happening now to what we've seen in the past, 
this is what's happening. So I, I you know, what what do you think about that kind of framing and focus as this story emerged over this it's year? It's been really interesting actually because not just looking at COVID deaths, but looking at excess deaths. We had um, a period in the UK where we were seeing excess deaths, not just through, um, we were seeing excess deaths, not necessarily just caused by COVID. They weren't accounting for all of the excess deaths that we were seeing. We were seeing excess non-COVID deaths. And having that insight was really useful in then communicating to the general public that, you know, for example, hospitals weren't closed. We found a lot of people weren't going to hospital because they were scared of going to hospital because they may catch COVID. Um, we've really seen a knock-on effect of routine uh, operations then being cancelled, people's cancer treatments then being cancelled. You know, framing it in terms of excess deaths overall allows us to look and identify those extra issues that are non-COVID that we wouldn't have seen if we'd just looked at COVID deaths. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking about the Royal Statistical Society's Stats of the Year with RSS Vice President for External Affairs, Jen Rogers. Jen, we are doing this uh, podcast via Zoom. And, you know, as wonderful as it's been to be able to continue the podcast, it certainly has raised difficulties as in managing Richard and John um, in a way that it's a little easier when we're all in a studio together. But I was shocked by the statistic um, concerning Zoom that you chose as your highly commended international stat of the year. Could you talk about that one? Yeah, globally, this year, 5.5 million years will have been spent on Zoom. It's about 3 trillion minutes. Um, It's just, uh, yeah, incredible. You know, we've really seen this culture shift with chunks of our lives now being played out online because of the coronavirus pandemic. You know, vast sections of the workforce have spent much of the year working behind their laptop screens in their home offices and video conferencing has has really played a, a key part in keeping the economy moving as well as us being able to keep in touch with our friends and family um you know we've one of the things i like we've had 2020 this year we've seen papers written on the effects of zoom fatigue And there are news reports, apparently, um, about a Zoom boom in requests for cosmetic surgery now that people have got to look at themselves so much on their screens. (laughs) Richard, I know what I'm going to get you for your your next holiday. Uh, Well, you know, I'm retired now, so I like, you know, in in the studio, we couldn't see our guests the way we had it set up. And I think it's much easier to have a conversation when you can yeah. see people's faces, you see kind of where their living space is, and you know people are paying attention to what's behind them these days. So I set up my uh, little Christmas stand behind me with my wife's little houses, you know, so. But we're actually connecting to our families that are scattered all over the U.S. much more than we, we were before. We'd see each other maybe once every two or three years at a reunion. And now every every major holiday is a is a Zoom event. Yeah, yeah for sure. I think because um, we've had two lockdowns now in the UK, and in the first one, 
you know, you had a Zoom quiz every single week and yeah, you got a bit of Zoom fatigue. Um, the second lockdown was interesting because it was very different. That wasn't going on as much as it did in the first one. I think the excitement had kind of disappeared a little bit the second time round. Yeah. Um, but it, it's been really useful yeah. to just try and keep in touch with friends and, and colleagues and, and things like that. I, I thought what was really, really brilliant in what, what you all did with uh, the selection of the commended, uh, highly commended awards internationally was the, the counterpoint. You know, I, I, I thought that there was this, oh, there's this great technology, but. And so what talk about that kind of the, the, the contrast that that was was embedded in the other highly commended. Yes. Yeah, so our other highly commended statistic really shows the polar opposite of someone's experience throughout uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Um, our other highly commended statistic is three out of five. Now, only three out of five people worldwide have basic hand washing facilities, according to the latest estimates from UNICEF. Now, during the coronavirus pandemic, you know, we've been lacking an effective treatment. So countries around the world have implemented interventions such as social distancing and washing our hands has been a key piece of advice in trying to slow down the disease transmission. Uh, in the UK, we've got this phrase that the government has come up with, uh, hands, face and space. So it's wash your hands, cover your face and keep some space. But you know, in a year when hand washing has been so important, this statistic is particularly powerful because it tells us about global disparities. You know, while some people have already started benefit benefiting from an effective vaccine, others, they, they can't even wash their hands. It highlights one of the biggest health inequalities that we face today. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to those statistics going forward? Yeah, do you think that these are, you know, when by doing this, do you find that there's a follow-up monitoring of some of these statistics? I mean, this is, you know, there's been, you've done this for many years, and I mean, it's been really interesting to, to follow, you know, I think it was like what part percentage of the, the plastics would enter the waste stream was one of the previous year winners of uh, recognition. You know, I, I, I wonder if by doing this, it's, it's by shining this light on some of these these outcomes, on some of these statistics, if that doesn't also encourage additional monitoring. I really hope so. And I really hope that by presenting these statistics, we start conversations and we really hope that people pick up on them. Because I think sometimes, you know, we live in very privileged worlds where, you know, in my house, I have three sinks that I can wash my hands in, whereas some people in the world can't. They, they don't have access to soap and water. And I think sometimes we don't realize that, you know, we're in our own worlds and we don't quite understand what the experiences are like for other people across the globe. And so I really hope that by promoting these statistics and telling these stories, we start the, the conversations that need to happen. How much coverage do you get from the media for these for when you announce these awards? Is it pretty good? Is it growing? Because that's how you start the conversations, right? You need media to, to sort of spread the word. It has been growing year on year. Um, we get good coverage in the UK and then it sort of slowly filters out. And even sometimes months after, we'll you know, pick up on something that has quoted one of our statistics of the year. So it's it's really good to know that they do pack a punch you know that people do listen to them and people 
you know, they are really interested in what we choose to be our statistics of the year and why we've chosen them. So um, it's a really great thing to be part of. And I absolutely love doing it. One of the stories I've been following during COVID has been the impact of of various things on the mental health of individuals, whether it's children doing digital school or all of us being forced to be face-to-face and maybe getting cosmetic surgery, right? But I I wonder, your highly commended statistics uh, for the UK have a really interesting symmetry in in the numbers, but the one I wanted to talk about first was one that is related to to coronavirus and mental health. Yes, so 19% of adults were likely to be experiencing some sort of depression during the coronavirus pandemic, according to the Office for National Statistics. Um, So this figure of around one in five uh, had almost doubled from a figure of one in 10 before the pandemic. Um, And it it really provides an insight into Britain's mental health. You know, me, myself, I've struggled with it. I was supposed to get married in August and had to postpone my wedding. Uh, My fiance um, had just started working for British Airways as a pilot and then got made redundant. Um, You know, we've all had so many things to deal with throughout this pandemic. Um, And I think really shows uh, a unique perspective on how depression has changed um, since before the pandemic. And you know, over in, in the UK, we've had lots of discussions and increased awareness around mental health issues over the last few years. Um, and over the pandemic, we have seen lots of discussion in the media about the impact of COVID on our well-being, as you said, you know, having to work from home, all the stresses, having to homeschool, um, you know, in particular, the survey found that those who are young, female, disabled, or unable to afford an unexpected expense were the ones who were most likely to be experiencing some form of depression. You know, when I saw that statistic, I actually thought it was low compared to the U.S., and I went and looked at a mm. journal of um, the American Medical Association. There, there was a study back in I think it started in March of pre-COVID versus post-COVID, and it showed 8% of U.S. in this particular study experienced depressive disorders, and then it was a threefold leap to 27% by May, I think, mm-hmm. where the period of this study, which was fairly early on, which indicated to me that uh, you're doing better in the U- UK than you are in the than we are in the U.S. Yeah, I think it's still scary, though, to just see how those numbers have jumped and to just see that the impact that this has had. And I I think that this is actually going to be a story that will go into 2021 and these long term effects of the pandemic. We will be seeing them for for some years to come, I suspect. Yeah, I I would would have not been surprised if, if one of the statistics had been associated with unemployment or with number of people who lost jobs, or, you know, the, you know, the, the, the sector, the industrial sector with the greatest loss and impact from this. I mean, certainly, as you mentioned, travel, the travel industry has taken a huge hit, but also restaurants and other service providers have, have had huge, huge impacts. Yeah, we did get some statistics on that. And it was interesting as well, uh, looking at unemployment figures by different age groups, how it it's really mm-hmm. impacted mm-hmm. young people. And I think yes. a lot of young people in the hospitality industry um, have really been affected by it. 
Um, yeah, I mean, if they were great contenders. I think we felt that this uh, depression statistic kind of encapsulated a lot sure. of that. And, you know, a lot of these things, unemployment is probably one of the drivers behind the depression. Um, but being yeah. a, but by choosing this sort of depression statistic allowed us to have a, a more general conversation about all of the issues that may be associated with it. Yeah. Before we go, I do want to talk about the other UK commended statistic, because as we've been have in the midst of this coronavirus epidemic in the United States and globally, there's also been this global conversation around race, obviously in different contexts. And certainly in the United States, it was the summer of Black Lives Matter in many cities. And I wonder if you could, you know, now talk about this other the other 19 that appears as a as a UK commended statistic. Yeah, our other 19 is is 19 times. Um, And black men aged 18 to 24 in London are on average 19 times more likely to be stopped and searched in comparison to the city's overall population, um, according to a study carried out by University College London's Institute for Global City Policing. We here in in the UK had anti-racism protests that took place as part of the Black Lives Matter movement. And that really has been a key event of of 2020. And we just wanted to really highlight the fact that whilst some may be aware of the issue, I don't think many would know just how much more likely a a young black man is to be stopped by police just when going about his his day-to-day life. And it really gives a snapshot of the experiences for some at the height of the pandemic. Was this a was this a hard job? I mean, you know, as, as you look back on this now, as you reflect on the experience, you know, you had you had people that were submitting entries or, or nominating different options. And then you you as a group had to filter this out. I, I'm just curious how hard it was for you to do it. It is quite difficult. And you do feel a huge sense of responsibility. You know, the statistics that we choose we're sitting now here talking about them and other people will be sitting there talking about them. And, you know, you do feel this sense of, oh, we've got to make sure we pick the right ones. And, um, you know, you, as as I said, you really want to just try and summarize what's happened in the year and what have been the key movements, what have been the key focuses. You know, in past years, we've had big climate change focus and, and things like that. Whereas this year, you know, it really has been coronavirus the different experiences of it and we had this big black lives matter uh, movement as a, as a real key event well that's all the time we have for this episode of stats and stories jen thank you so much for being here stats and stories is a partnership between miami university's departments of statistics and media journalism and film and the american statistical association you can follow us on twitter apple podcast or other places where you can find podcast if you'd like to share your thoughts on the program send your email to stats and stories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net and be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.